Well, he must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, no doubt, John uh, the Baptist was asked by his disciples uh, about Jesus, and that's how he described him. He's the one that I've come preaching about, and man, he's the one that we need to be leaning into. And that's what we're gonna talk about uh, today is the humility of saying, he must increase, I must decrease. No doubt that was going through Cam's mind as he was getting slimed right here on this stage last week uh, because uh, the girls won. Um, it was awesome. Not only did we have 24 salvations, they took up uh, close to $2,500 uh, to go toward tiny homes and uh, other things, other mission projects. What an incredible week we had. And so many of you volunteered and served and uh, thank you so much for all that you did. I know uh, that many of that uh, came from that too, that uh, I must uh, decrease as he increases in my life. We're going to continue in our series in Philippians chapter 2. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, we've uh, really been going through the first chapter of the past couple weeks. And uh, man, just to kind of catch you up where we are, uh, the first couple weeks talked about let our lives be worthy of the gospel. Let the way we live be worthy of the fact that we carry the name Christian on us, right? And so let our lives be worthy of the gospel and how we interact with those around us. And then even last week to advance Advance at all cost. Man, whether we're living, whether we're dying, it's gain, right? Like uh, Paul is giving us this challenge that we should give our lives to advance the gospel no matter what. So our bottom line today and continuing in chapter two is Jesus shows us how and empowers us to forget ourselves. Now, I don't know if any of you uh, are like me and you've got humility down pat. Anybody, you got humility, good to go? Um, I, don't, I thought I saw some movement over there. I don't know, somebody's like, I'm humble, I got it. Uh, that's, I'm good with that, right? Um, it's like, it's one of those things where like if you tell somebody you're humble, all of a sudden you're not humble. Like just in that exact moment, you lost your humility, right? Um, and it's always awkward if somebody tells you you're humble because then you don't know how to respond, you know? You're like, oh, come on, <laughs> come on now, you know? And um, it's such an awkward moment. Uh, but we all have been there, right? We've all seen uh, folks uh, that are humble. Ironically, uh, I get to share this message with you today. And um, last week was Father's Day, and it's the second year in a row I got a pair of socks. This year, uh, number one dad, okay, in case you're wondering. So number one, yeah, thanks. All the dads out there, I apologize. Uh, you're at least number two or, or, or down because number one is me. I have socks to prove it. Uh, and so on the day that we're gonna talk about humility, I'm wearing number one dad's socks. Okay, so that gives you any, uh, any idea of how qualified I am to give this message. Um, I, I'm certainly not the most humble person in the world, but we're gonna look at what Paul is telling us about uh, humility. I think uh, there are some times in our lives where Really what he's talking about in many ways is the idea of unity through uh, humility. And uh, you know, I don't know what your family was like growing up, but uh, we always went to lunch after church. We always went somewhere to eat. And uh, my, my family uh, were very strong-minded individuals. That's a good thing, all right, I think, uh, in many ways. And when we would get in the car, um, you know, my dad would say, hey, let's go to uh, this place. And me or my brother would be like, I don't like that place. You know, well, my mom would say, what well, about here? We went there last week. And, uh, and I would say, let's go to this place. Well, we're in pain. We're not going to go to that place. So we just, that's how we discussed where to go. Anybody else kind of relate to that? That's kind of what your car is like on Sundays? Okay. And uh, it eventually settled to where we just all like Sunny's barbecue. So it was like, all right, we're, that's, we're just going to Sunny's barbecue every Sunday. And that was our go-to. We weren't going to fight about it. We we're going to get in there. Um, my in-laws, kind of the opposite. Um, I love them. They're, uh, they're incredible in-laws. 
And if you've met Mel, this will make sense to you. Um, But when I get in the car with them, it's like, well, wherever you would like to go, I'm good with wherever you want to go. And um, and we'll drive an hour down the road uh, sometimes and be like, let's go here. And so now it's kind of a joke because the sea trawler, which does not exist anymore in Myrtle Beach for a reason, uh, ended up being that spot after an hour drive that we were like, okay, let's just go to the sea trawler. So my go-to with them is uh, Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Um, Where do y'all want to go? Ruth Chris. And they pick very quickly. Uh, somewhere else other than Ruth's Chris um, to go to for lunch. Um, so that's my, that's my go-to. And if you're in one of those families where you're with an indecisive person, let me just say, be the decisive person, okay? So it's fine. If your spouse is like, wherever you wanna go, just go wherever you wanna go, right? Just be like, all right, this is it. This is what we're doing. Then we're gonna do this again. They'll speak up if they don't like it, I promise, okay? Um, and so be that way, right? Uh, but even yesterday with the family, we all had, uh, there was three different places that we wanted to go between the four of us, and, uh, and one I'm not sure, I'm good with whatever, and so we just, we had, to, we had to pick one, you just have to make that happen. And yet in the midst of all those kind of discussions, I've never met somebody who's like, well, I left the house when I was 16 because we just couldn't decide on where to eat, you know? <laughs> like, have you ever met that person? I'm not, I'm not right? Because at the end of the day, that's a, it's a trivial thing. And what unites a family is not where they like to eat, right? What unites a family is so much bigger than that. And a lot of what Paul's gonna hit here in Philippians 2 as we dig in is really talking about unity in the sense of we've gotta realize the things in life that are important. Now, some of us have uh, some of those, you know, license plates, it's like, you know, house divided and you've got uh, Clemson on one side and Carolina on the other one, you know what I'm talking about? Or, uh, you know, um, I don't know, there's, in Georgia, there's not a house, divi- there's no way to have a ha- divided house in Georgia. You're all in, you know, if you're a Georgia fan, just saying uh, that's not true. But, um, uh, you know, we have these kind of uh, jokes about uh, sports or, or different things, whether you're a mountain person or a beach person, right? Mountains all the way, uh, just saying. Um, dog person or a cat person, uh, that's no contest as well. I'm throwing out uh, easy ones that we should all agree that dogs are better, but um, at, the end, <laughs> at the end of the day, um, we, we don't divide ourselves over those things as a family. We, we unite over those things, and, and they're fun. And as a church, sometimes what we can do, even with the community around us, is we can let things like that divide us. I was at a church in Atlanta and a guy joined our church and the reason he came to our church is he was on the building committee uh, for another church in town and the architect drew up these plans and a guy donated a piano to the church and it was on uh, a certain side of the stage or that's what the, the stage was designed for a piano to go on that side. I don't know how that works, but it was. And uh, the guy that designed or that donated the piano said, hey, we need to talk to the architect and redesign the stage because I want the piano on the other side of the stage. And he said, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna pay thousands of dollars to an architect to redesign the stage. The piano's just gonna go on that side. He said, well, then I revoke my gift. And he took the piano back. And the guy that was over that um, building committee said, this is not the kind of church I wanna be in. I wanna be in a church that focuses on Jesus, not which side of the, of the stage the piano is gonna be on. Now this is why this is gonna hurt us a little bit and, and feel a little uh, painful to, <coughs> excuse me, to us because, man, we've, we've got to be reminded <clears throat> that the things that matter most in our lives should be the gospel, not the color of the carpet. The things that matter most in our lives should not be whether these are blue lights or red lights. The things that should matter in our lives should be the word of God and the gospel in our lives. 
Paul, writing the book of Philippians, wrote this book from prison, and it's actually known as the happiest book in the New Testament, the most joyous book in the New Testament. He wrote repeatedly about his joy, and he's gonna, we're gonna hear even more about his joy, but even in, in chapter one, there's multiple times. In chapter two, multiple times he talks about it. Three and four, his joy that he has while in prison. And we let other people and we let other things steal our joy. Instead of finding our joy in Christ, Paul in prison, this is not like Judge Judy on TV, you know? <laughs> he's not like lifting weights in his free time. Like this is Paul in, in, a, in a jail cell where he's gotta eat his food quick enough so the rats don't get it. Probably smelly and nasty. And he says, man, I've got so much joy right now in what God is doing. That we should find our joy not in other people or what they think of us, we should find our joy in Christ and him alone. This is a problem because we have these devices in front of us nonstop that are telling us we should compare ourselves to other people. Right, man, they went on that vacation, I'm jealous of that person, or maybe I want others to be jealous of me because I went on this trip. And we're in this constant comparison with other people or look at that person and what they're able to wear or what they wanna wear and I you know, wish I could fit into that or whatever. We're just in this constant deal of wanting other people to like us instead of looking to what Jesus wants us to look for, which is to him. And this has increased uh, stress, anxiety, depression, everything else in our culture, not just with teenagers, but in adults is rampant right now. Because we're not looking to Jesus as the answer in our hope, we're looking to others. We're trying to find our happiness or our satisfaction in what somebody else may think of us instead of what Jesus thinks of us. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes the most hurtful people in our lives are people from the inside. They're people that we know. In fact, I would say sometimes church people, the, the people that have hurt me the most in my life have been church people. We could probably compare scars. I don't think there's a person in this room that probably would say that they are exempt from having been hurt by somebody. And it's often those people close to us. But if we're focusing on joy, if we're focusing on what he has, we lean into Jesus. We're not leaning into what other people think of, it, think of us. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't let people in. I do think we should let people in to our lives. I'm saying as we find our satisfaction in him, we find our hope in him, there are people in your life that are always gonna be critical of things. There are always gonna be people who um, are constantly uh, bringing you down. Man, you work on pleasing Jesus. Now we can remain victims and we can say, well, I'm just hurt and other people hurt me, but listen, we're all broken. Every single one of us in this room is broken. None of us are perfect. We don't have this thing figured out. I wish we did, right? As a dad, or as a kid, I always thought my dad was like, you know, a genius and had life figured out. And now that I'm a dad, I'm like, man, that guy was terrified sometimes, you know? Like, we're trying to figure these things out as we go along, and we're not perfect. We're working on it. And here's the deal. This is what Philippians 2, what Paul's gonna tell us. I'm gonna read in these verses, then we're gonna go back and talk about them. In Philippians 2, chapter one, verses through 11, he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is of Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If chapter one is all about Christ first, it's all about placing God first in your life, chapter two is saying, okay, now it's time for others. If chapter one is saying, let's point ourselves toward being worthy of the gospel, let's put Jesus first in everything, chapter two is saying, all right, now the the person that lives across the street or the person that you disagree with or the person that you live with, whatever the case may be, they should be next. Not you, but them. And so the first thing I have to share with you today is the power. The how can we do this is the power. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. That's like an old dad joke. Is like, what's the car in the Bible is when they were all in one accord. Um, that, that's if, that, your dad will tell that at Thanksgiving now. But, um, but yeah, he says, if, if there's any encouragement, if you've experienced the gospel, if you have been forgiven, if you have lived a life where you have sinned and then the Lord said, hey, I sent my son for you to a cross and you experienced that grace, it's really hard to not experience power in the midst of that because he offers us power, the spirit dwelling within us. We can't do it on our own and the sweetness of the gospel should sweeten the spirit that we interact with in the rest of the world because we're empowered by the gospel. We cannot do this on our own. This is not something that you can just try hard enough. You've got to tap into the power of God. I listened to a podcast uh, recently and I thought this was a super interesting story. It was about a New York physician who could predict typhoid by feeling the tongues of patients this is many, many years ago. And he said during ward rounds, he was moving from patient to patient and he was palpitating the tongue with his fingers, checking its structure, and he moved on to the next patient. And before these patients even showed symptoms, he could predict that they, were have, they would have typhoid. Well, it turns out he was giving them all typhoid by touching their tongues, from, he was spreading typhoid to all of them and predicting that they would get it uh, accurately, right? We need the power of God. If we try in our own strength, we're gonna mess it up. It's literally impossible for for us to say, I can live the Christian life on my own. We have to tap into the power of God. And we can't let let other people rob us of our joy because we're focused on the right things. If we get chapter one right in this and we're like, hey, here's the deal. Jesus is first in my life in all things. Then when we start to say we're putting others next, we're like, well, that's obvious because that's what he's asked us to do. That's what he did. Now you have to ask yourself, if you find yourself in controversy all the time or you do find yourself in conversations or situations where it kind of always is, is controversial or there's always a struggle, you may need to check your heart. Am, am I the common factor in all of this? Am I the one that seems to be at the center of all of these difficult things? Am I the one that seems to complain about things? Or ch- check your heart. 
And what Paul's not asking here is not uniformity, he's asking for unity. He's saying that for us as a church, we should value unity because we can all unite around the gospel. We can all unite around the power of God changing our lives. And I'll be honest, like, I don't care what pedal they're using, like on their pedal boards, like I, that, that doesn't, it sounds awesome, whatever they use already, like it's great. What I care about is Jesus above anything else. And if that's gonna help get somebody here, I'm all for it. If we bring a DJ up here one day, I'd be down with that, you know, it'd be cool. We got some DJs on our staff. Bill Sims is a good DJ too. If y'all need a DJ for your party, you can call uh, Bill Sims, it'd be great. Um, We've, we've got some incredible people. It's just, man, what, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to reach people for the gospel because the power of God changes lives, not me. And unity is only gonna happen intentionally. I know this. I have a brother, you know? Anybody have siblings in here, right? And you're like, okay, uh, that, that was a really tough time growing up with that kid, right? My brother and I used to fight all the time until he started benching 350 pounds. And... Uh, I did not bench 350 pounds. I was slightly less than that, just a few pounds uh, less than 350. And uh, that's when we stopped uh, fighting uh, because uh, you know I wouldn't be able to take them. And so at the end of the day though, it, unity happens with intention, whether this is uh, you and your family, right? This maybe a spouse or a friend or at work. Unity takes intentionality. It takes us saying the gospel unites us and the power of God unites us far greater than any disagreement you and I may have right now about some trivial matter. The gospel matters most. So let's focus on that. If God's been compassionate to us, we should be compassionate to one another. I was reading in my studies this week and uh, one of the uh, commentators I was reading on was talking about Paul addressing Philippians, reminding them that there is a spiritual problem of fellowship that they need to deal with. Do we have that in our lives? Have you checked your own heart to say, do I have a problem of, spiritual problem of fellowship that I need to deal with face to face with God because I'm holding bitterness against somebody else over something that's so trivial it doesn't matter? Is my family in disunity? Is my connect group in disunity? Are there things in my life that are not harmonious because of something I'm unwilling to surrender to? I want God to be first. I'll tell you, as a parent, it excites me when I see my children get along, right? Like some of y'all are like, I've been there, right? The kids are playing well together. I'm like, should I start a stopwatch? Uh, how, how long do you think we got here, you know? Um, but it, it makes me so thrilled. God wants to see his children unified. So how do we find unity? The second thing is the command that he gives us. He says in verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. More than 20 times in the New Testament, God instructs us on how to live with one another. It's not just our actions, it's our intentions, it's our heart. He commands us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. This is probably one of the hardest verses for me in scripture. I'm just being real with you. In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. He didn't clarify that. He didn't say, hey, count uh, others in your family as more significant or 
Um, count others that you really like, right? Or, hey, do you know somebody that has tickets to the Georgia-Clemson game uh, that's opening this year? Count them as more significant than yourself. That might work out for you. He's not saying for the people that benefit you or the people that are easy. He's saying count others, everybody, as more significant than yourselves. That is where we find humility, is when we begin to esteem others. Some uh, translations say to esteem others. I've always used this phrase in talking with teenagers because I've always felt like um, in most of a teenager's life, uh, people are talking down to them. People are kind of telling them what they can't do or uh, what they can do and where their lines are. And man, I'm like, I just wanna esteem teenagers. I just wanna be able to lift them up and say, here's what you could be and I'm just gonna hold you up there. I wanna lift you up to some other place that maybe you're not even there yet. And if you prove to me that you're <laughs> incapable of being able uh, to handle that, I'll treat you like a kid. If if you want to act like one. But here's where I want to steam you too, right? And that's what we should be doing with everybody. We should say, I want to steam you. I, whether I disagree with your politics, whether I don't like the way that you're acting or whether I don't like the way that you're dressed, we should treat every other person as more significant than ourselves. Like I said, I think that's a really challenging verse for all of us because we all have a tendency to say, well, you know, well, I didn't like how this person did that. I didn't, I didn't like um, you know, the, the color of Pat's shirt today. I just didn't feel like it played well on our internet. You know, it's like, these are things that, that don't matter. At the end of the day, we should always be lifting others up. In fact, I would say when you've got Christ giving you the power and the command to say, I'm gonna esteem others, you will never be offended. We walk around acting like we're offended all the time and really we should be embracing humility. And it's a strange thing because once you feel like you're humble, you, you just messed up again, right? You gotta keep pursuing. It's something that we're never gonna be able to achieve. It's something we're only gonna be able to pursue. A famous quote by C.S. Lewis, I'm sure you've heard it, says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Matthew 22, 39, Jesus said it this way, love your neighbor as yourself. In humility, we should not be saying, hey, here's how I'm gonna position myself to be able to, to be greater. In humility, we should be saying, how can I love my neighbor? How can I put the person across the street even in a better position than they are now? Do we count others as worthy? The other people that we interact with in this life, are they worthy to be esteemed? Jesus would say they are. I think it even changes the way that we approach life. Now we kind of have this me first mentality and I don't know that necessarily anybody's mom or dad sat down with them, maybe they did, but, and said, look, you gotta put yourself first because nobody else is gonna get your back. Nobody's gonna look, for, look out for you. You gotta look out for yourself. I don't know if anybody's ever done that with you, but we get that mindset at some point, right? Where we start to go, well, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get me ahead because nobody else is gonna look out for me. And you know what? I'm just gonna, if you're in the way, you better watch out, right? And we kind of miss the fact that that's the opposite of, of the gospel, excuse me, my throat is so dry. The opposite of the gospel. Happy people are humble people. People who are following Jesus is, are, are humble. They are people who elevate others in that position. James four says this, he says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not passions that are at war within you? And then he ends that, chat, or ends that verse by saying, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Richard Foster put it this way. He said, when we serve, we have control. We have choices about what we will or won't do. We decide whom we will serve and when we will serve. He says, but when we become a servant, we give up the right to be in charge. 
And there's great freedom in this. He says, if we voluntarily choose to be a servant, even when we're taken advantage of or something we fight against, we can no longer be manipulated. And let me say it this way. When Jesus becomes greater in our lives, there is no alternative than for our own self becoming less. When Jesus becomes greater in your life and in my life, there is no alternative than for my own self to be diminished when Jesus is greater. The third thing is his example. Backing up to verse five again, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, and found in human form, he, found, or he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord to the glory of God Father. In these verses he says right there that even though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I think we sometimes think when we hear that term form of God we think physical form, we think of a shape but he's saying God is spirit. Jesus here is fully God and fully man. Now I can't... Uh, even better, explain it better than that to you, except to say Jesus is 100% God and he is 100% man. And as he's speaking to his disciples, he's not speaking as a man, he's speaking as 100% God and he's speaking as 100% man. And he says, even though he is God, he became a servant. He chose this life, he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Even to the point of giving his own life up. Paul even said it this way. Paul said, man, if I could give up my own salvation so that you could know Jesus, I would happily do that. Paul would be willing to damn himself to hell for eternity if it meant somebody else being saved. If there's not humility in that statement, then I don't know what is. To follow Jesus' example means to be willing to do whatever it takes Jesus, to walk in the same spirit and the same steps as him, humbled himself to sufferings and death. And I think part of the problem for us as Christians is we think we deserve more than Jesus. We think we deserve more than him. We don't wanna follow the Jesus of the Bible. We wanna follow, follow the Jesus that we like. Well, I like to think of Jesus this way. I like to think Jesus is just a really nice guy and he's just nice to everybody, right? And Jesus is a guy who said, no, I'm willing to give my life so that you can experience this grace. I'm willing to do whatever it takes so that you know that there is a God that loves you and loves you enough that he sent his son to a cross for you to give his life to suffer shame and humiliation. When you saw a cross on the side of the road, it was a warning. It was something so that as other people were walking into the city and they saw people hanging on a cross, it was like, don't steal because in this place, you might be one of those guys on the cross. It was a, it was a shameful thing to hang on a cross. And yet the cross that, that was meant for shame, the cross that was meant for humiliation becomes a picture of grace and beauty for us. Because it was on that cross that Jesus shed his blood. It was on that cross that he said, as an example, I am showing you and living for you the life of the gospel that I want you to live so much. That you'd be willing to give your life to the Lord. That you'd be willing to love others with such an everlasting love that the gospel would matter more than anything. And the gospel shows no partiality. The gospel doesn't ask you who you voted for for president. The gospel doesn't ask you what language you speak or what color your skin is. The gospel says that God loves you. In John 13, 
Jesus' final moments on this earth, he's with his disciples in the upper room, and he probably could have done a lot of things. He probably could have said, now these are my last, uh, last will and testament, or this is, these are my last words I'm gonna leave to you. One thing he did that was really interesting, Jesus got up from his chair, got down to his under robes, and started to wash the feet of his disciples. As a servant, he served the Lord. Peter, in fact, said that. There's no way you could wash my feet. Jesus said, I have come to serve. And I love these verses as we end this. It says in verse 11, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The purpose of the, Christ is, the cross is to glorify God. Our lives should follow Jesus' example. Our lives should be about glorifying God in all things. I think sometimes we get wrapped up in whether we wanna be right. Um, that's, <laughs> that's me speaking from my heart, my wicked heart. We wanna be right. We like it when we're right. We like our own ideas, right? We're like, that's a great idea. I came up with that one. We like that. And sometimes we have to say, I, I want to be teachable. In fact, all the time we should say that. But we wanna say, I wanna be teachable. I wanna learn from you. How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I show you that there's a God that loves you way more than I could ever love you? Many of you have relationships in your life right now that could use a conversation of you just saying, I'm sorry, even if you're the one that's right. Of looking that person in the eye and just saying, I'm sorry. I care more about our relationship I care more about what God's doing in my heart and in your heart than I do this beef that we have with one another. Man, it's so exciting to see what God is doing in the midst of our church. Building tiny homes, sending people across the world again on mission trips, caring about uh, our backyard. There's so much that is happening in our midst, even launching our Malden campus and our Anderson campus. Uh, this fall, one's meeting like right now, right across the hallway. It's incredible how God is motivating our church and uniting our hearts around this vision. We shouldn't let anything get in the way of what God is doing in our midst. We shouldn't let any kind of nitpicky uh, opinion be something that keeps us from experiencing what God wants to do. Because I'm telling you the best days are ahead. I'm telling you, I cannot wait for this ride. I'm excited. And I want God to work in my house. I want God to work in our church. I want God to change the upstate because of what happened in this room and in my heart. And will you join me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning and the privilege and opportunity we have to read your word. I pray, Father, that you would challenge us. Challenge us to love others the way that you love them. God, to esteem others and put them in a place of significance in our lives, regardless of whether they've been mean to us, regardless of what they've said, what they believe, what they think, how they dress, how they look. God, that you would allow us to see others through your eyes. And God, will you convict us this morning, maybe even now, put a name on our hearts of somebody that we need to repair that relationship. And we found disunity because we've either complained or fought or even if we're the one in the right, we just, wanna, we just wanna pursue unity the way that you've pursued unity. 
God, I pray for the person in this room that has never decided to follow you as their savior, that even hearing this, this type of grace, this type of, type of forgiveness is, um, is really spoken to their heart, that Holy Spirit, even now you would draw that person, that you would give them courage to in this moment, reach out to somebody next to them or come down front or catch one of our ministers in the lobby afterwards and say, I want today to be the day. God, that you're still saving souls. We rejoice with the 24 that, uh, that you saved this past week at our VBS. We are excited to celebrate with all of those families. But God, you're still working today. You're still working this morning. Father, even as we leave this place and we sing and we lift up our voices, will you be lifted and glorified because you deserve it? And everything we do, everything we say, we want to bring glory to you because you deserve it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.